Easter is a reminder that we can always trust Jesus. Always. Uh, it doesn't matter uh, what we're going through. It doesn't matter how defeated we feel. doesn't matter um, the kind of uh, situation, regardless of how scary it is. Uh, no matter how bleak the future, we can always, always trust Jesus. You know, it's amazing how powerful the sense of smell is at triggering our memory. Maybe you've smelled a perfume somewhere and, and it reminded you of the perfume maybe an elementary school teacher wore and suddenly you find yourself as if you were back in third grade for a few moments. Or maybe you enjoyed as a kid going out and cutting firewood with your dad and the smell of a chainsaw and the chainsaw fuel and the sawdust suddenly transports you to a different time and a place and, and for a few moments you're back in the woods with your dad again. For me, it's the smell of a field that's being bush hogged that takes me back to when I was maybe 14 years old and my grandpa Johnson would let me drive the tractor and mow the field beside our family pond. I got to tell you, I would imagine that for Peter, the smell of a charcoal fire brought back some powerful memories for him. In John chapter 18 and John chapter 21, Peter finds himself in the setting of a charcoal fire. Now, in chapter 18, it's kind of a sad story because the night before he had told Jesus, I'll never leave you no matter if I have to die for you. I'll never, I'll never deny you. And Jesus is kind of like, oh, really, Peter? <laughs> before the rooster crows and the, and the morning dawns, you will have denied me three times. And sure enough, Peter denies Jesus three times the next morning around a charcoal fire. And as soon as he denies him the third time, a rooster crows, and Peter catches the gaze of Jesus looking at him, and Peter is crushed. But this morning's text is it's the good news of John chapter 21. Peter finds himself around another charcoal fire. And this time, it's a story of hope and renewal. The disciples have just finished a, a, a night of fishing in which they caught no fish, but they have an encounter with Jesus that totally changes their outlook. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some appearances of Jesus after the resurrection. We're going to look at, at how he appeared to Mary Magdalene and how he appeared to Thomas and, and how much hope that, that gave them. Easter is so important to the Christian faith. It's been called the Super Bowl of the Christian faith. If it wasn't for Easter, there would be no Christmas celebration either. Because it's the purpose of, of the cross of Good Friday and of the empty tomb of Easter morning that, that is the whole reason why Jesus came from heaven to earth. Let me get us started by John chapter 21, verses 1 through 3. It says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Uh, Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, uh, the, two, the two others of his disciples, were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. <laughs> Have you been on that fishing trip <laughs> where you've gone out and you fished all day or you fished all night and you go home empty-handed? Whenever we see the expression in Scripture, after these things, or as it is here in the uh, ESV, after this, we know that the writer is trying to give us the idea that, that some time has elapsed since the last event reported on. So some time has gone by since Jesus has appeared to the disciples after the resurrection. 
And so Peter's kind of saying to them, you know what? I'm going fishing. I'm going back to work. Who's with me? They're like, I'm in. And so they go back and they get on the boat. They have a night of fishing with no success. But here's the deal. Easter reminds us that we can always trust Jesus because he's always present. Look at verse 4. John 21 verse 4 says, Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. The sun was coming up when Jesus appeared on the shore. They had literally fished all night long, and they did not catch one single fish. Not so much as a a nibble. (laughs) Nothing in the net. And they were tired. They were hungry. I'm imagining that they were a little frustrated over their efforts. And Jesus somehow or another had a way after the resurrection of preventing his, his followers and his close friends from recognizing who he was until he was ready for them to recognize him. And it's amazing because as soon as he's ready, it's like flipping a light switch. And all of a sudden, they go from thinking of him as a complete stranger to this aha moment in which they are overwhelmed with excitement. I want you to know that Jesus is there for you every morning whether we recognize him or not. His presence is not always obvious. Uh, He's never intrusive. Uh, But he's always present. We get so busy and so distracted by life that sometimes we ignore his presence. I'm guilty of that. And you know, sometimes I, I hit the snooze alarm a couple of times too many and I get out of bed kind of late and I'm rushing around trying to get ready. And then it's stressful getting out of the house. Maybe I have one shoe or boot and I can't find the mate that goes with it. And, and then I go to get my, my, my coffee travel mug and I can't find it. And when I do find it, it's dirty because I didn't wash it the night before. And I'm upset and I'm, I'm yelling at the people that matter the most to me. And I get out the door as quick as I can and, and barely miss scraping the rearview mirror on the side of the garage door. And I'm halfway to work or to an appointment before I realize I've not thought of Jesus, not even one time. It's as if I'm oblivious to his existence. He's there on the shore, but I don't know it's him. You know, we've kind of been like that as a nation, haven't we? Over the last couple of decades or so, we've gotten so busy and so distracted. We rush from one thing to the next. We overcommit ourselves. We allow for no margin you know, we, we kind of, we go to worship with, with uh, other folks if we don't have anything else going on and we travel for sports and we, we stockpile money and we do all kinds of things to the point of where these other things become almost like modern day idols to us. This whole shelter in place thing has stopped us in our tracks, hasn't it? But I don't know that that's all bad. I can't remember a time when I have turned back and, and sought the Lord as much as I have over these last couple of weeks. I, I can't remember a time when my family, and my, when my wife and my kids and I have, have had such a, a healthy time together. Even on vacation, we seem to be busy. But we've slowed down. And we're kind of getting to reconnect with one another. And most importantly, we're getting to where we kind of re- reconnect with the Lord. We're recognizing who it is on the shore. Jesus has been there every single morning, right there on the shore of our lives, so to speak. But every morning, we don't always recognize him. You know, this whole COVID-19 virus concern seems to be causing us to turn back to Jesus. Our governor has called on faith leaders 
to pray and to continue getting the word out there to our congregations and our community. The media has actually shared scripture right from, from the newscast at night. And it's been really cool to see. Don't miss this opportunity to look to the shore and see Jesus. This is an opportunity for you to renew, to renew the fire that you once had for the Lord. This is an opportunity for you to reach out to family and friends and to invite them to join you in turning back to Jesus. This is an opportunity uh, for you to get the word uh, again deep inside of your soul, to go deeper into God's word, to digest it spiritually, to think outside of the box, outside of tradition, and to add uh, fresh and creative ways of worship and to have a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit. As our world experiences forest fires raging out of control in Australia, locust infestations in Africa, and COVID-19 virus all over this planet, it's time for God's people, God's people, to turn their attention back to the Jesus who died on the cross and who rose from the dead three days later. Jesus, who had proven his resurrection to the disciples, was now appearing to them again right there on the shore. But the disciples did not know it was him. Now, his appearance may have been veiled to them. It could have been that it was so early in the morning and there was a fog that they didn't recognize him at first. But I think, I think they were so discouraged over fishing all night and having caught nothing their first day back to work that they... They didn't have their eyes open to who Jesus is. But he was there, and he's there every morning for you, too. Do you recognize him? Uh, He's not shown up. It's not that Jesus is just now showing up. He's always been there. It is us who is just now showing up again for him. C.S. Lewis once said, Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. In 2 Chronicles 7, verses 13 through 14, it says this, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locust to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people, my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. It's high time for God's people to turn their attention back to God. We need to repent of our sins. We need to repent of our apathy. We need to get over our selfish desires and our agendas and realize that we have a real God and He is worthy of our full attention. We need to recognize who it is on the shore of our lives. Maybe not being able to meet together in person in a church building for a brief time will be one of the best things that could ever happen to the church. Because it's reminding us that the church is the people, not the bricks and mortar. It's not the building. It's the people. We are the church. We're not to worship the articles of worship, the tools for worship. Jesus alone is to be the object of our worship. And as the church has kind of left the building, so to speak, The church is becoming the church again, and that's a very healthy thing. Every night on the news, we see churches shining in the community. It's almost like it's become a regular segment on the nightly news to see a church out in the community doing some kind of of good. 
The world is beginning to see the church as where they turn for words of hope. They're seeing us as a caring group of people who serves others because that's what Jesus taught us to do. And whether or not they know who Jesus is, they're seeing Jesus in his people, in his church, the bride of Christ. He's always present. Easter reminds us that we can always trust Jesus because, secondly, he abundantly provides for us. Jesus doesn't just give us enough to get us by. He has a way of abundantly providing, and that's what he did for these disciples. Look at John 21, verses 5 through 6. It says, Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. (laughs) He said to them, cast the net on the, the side of the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And so they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. Now this miraculous catch of fish in John chapter 21 is the second miraculous catch of fish. The disciples experienced this first miraculous catch of fish in Luke chapter 5. It was right after Jesus had called some of them to come and to be his disciples. And they, the disciples had fished all night long, just like in John 21, and they had caught no fish, not one single fish. And Jesus called them to come follow him, and he'd make them fishers of men. And he got in Peter's boat, and he pushed himself out a little ways from the shore and taught the people on the, on the banks from the water. Jesus is a a master teacher, and he knew the benefit of the acoustics of the water, and he taught the people. And when he finished, he said to Peter, put us out further to sea, to deeper water, so that we can let our nets down again. Peter's response is classic. In Luke chapter 5, verse 5, he answered him. He said, Master, we toiled all night long and took nothing but At your word, I'll let down the nets. They did, and they caught so many fish that the nets were breaking. And they had to send for the second of the two boats. And they ended up filling not just the one boat, but they filled both boats so full that the boats were beginning to sink. Can you imagine the thunderous excitement and applause of these fishermen who had never seen anything like this, who had come off of an exhausting night of fishing and catching nothing, of of being called to this new way of life and hearing a great message, and now all of a sudden they're filled with so much enthusiasm, they're so uh, exhilarated that they are probably just overwhelmed with excitement because of this miraculous catch of fish. Peter worships Jesus in that moment. It says he falls on his knees before Jesus. But do you know what his response to him is? Not, not having a relationship with him, a close relationship with him yet. His response is to tell him, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Jesus' primary message to these fishermen was that he would make them fishers of men and that they were going to be soul winners for his kingdom. But Peter's first response is, I'm not worthy. If you have this kind of power to cause this kind of a miracle, and I know my imperfections and my sinfulness, I need you to stay away from me. I love night fishing. (laughs) But it's nice when you can come home with some fish for all your, your efforts. And you know you're going to get asked that question, right? Did you catch anything? <laughs> when Jesus asked them if they had caught anything, 
and they had to answer no. They didn't know that they were about to experience such an incredible miracle. He knew they didn't catch anything. And when he hollers out to them here in John chapter 21 from the shore, when he hollers out to them and he says, children, did you catch any fish? The word paeta, translated children, means young men. In other words, he's like, hey guys, hey fellas, did you catch any fish? And we're specifically told that they were to switch their nets to the right side of the boat, the starboard side. This reflection back to the original message, the, uh, the original miracle of the, of the miraculous catch of fish in Luke 5 identifies Jesus to his disciples. He is always present and he abundantly supplies. Easter reminds us that we can always trust Jesus because he's also able to cause extreme joy. And I mean extreme joy. Check out what it says in verses 7 through 8 of John 21. It says, That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples, they came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. As they are mentally processing, these disciples are processing this miracle and they're comparing it to the miracle of of catching an incredible amount of fish in Luke chapter 5. They strain to see who this person is on the sea and it's John himself, the one whom Jesus loved, that informs Peter, hey, you know what? It's the Lord. And I love the way that John and Peter are the, are the two that are in this scene together. Because remember, they are the two disciples that arrive first to the tomb. John runs on ahead of Peter. He gets there. He, he waits. He kind of looks inside. He's studying things. And Peter comes along, blasts right past John when he catches up with him, and barges right on into the tomb. But it's John who notices that the grave clothes are nice and neatly folded and put off to the side. And he's able to deduce from that that there's no way that a grave robber has stolen the body because they would not have neatly folded up those grave clothes. And he realizes that Jesus has risen from the dead. Our text tells us that they're about 100 yards from shore. Peter's response is classic, Peter, isn't it? It kind of reminds me of the Forrest Gump movie when Forrest and Lieutenant Dan are on the, the shrimping boat and they get word that Forrest's mom is sick. And uh, when Forrest hears that his mama is sick, he just kind of gives a look. He doesn't really say anything. He hops up, fully dressed, jumps right into the water. And the next scene, we see him running up to his mama's house with sl- his shoes a sloshing as he's going along. And he arrives at her bedside and says, Mama, what's wrong? <laughs> Peter's so excited, he doesn't even have anything he needs to say. He just jumps into the water, about 100 yards off shore, and he comes running, splashing water everywhere to run up to Jesus. He's so excited to see Jesus. I love that. Peter's response to Jesus in Luke 5, though, uh, was quite different. After he saw that Jesus could cause a miraculous catch of fish like like he did, his response to Jesus is to not run to him, but to run from him. In fact, he tells Jesus, "Go, go away, for I am a sinful man. 
Legalism says, I messed up, my dad's going to kill me. But Christianity says, I messed up, I better call my dad. And you see that transformation taking place in Peter. Early on, when he was first called to be a disciple and he saw this miracle, he was so overwhelmed by the, the incredible, miraculous powers of Jesus that he was afraid to be near him because he knew of his own imperfections and weaknesses. But here, he is drawn to Jesus. How do you respond to the Lord when you recognize his presence? Do you feel ashamed and, and kind of want to hang your head? Or do you recognize him as the one who has saved you from your sins and can can bail you out of your sin debt. I like to think of it this way. Imagine you and I are going to go to lunch together and, and uh, when the check comes, you say, hey, I got this. And I resist and you insist and I say, okay, you don't have to ask me more than twice. <laughs> but then as you go to reach for your wallet, you realize, oh no, I forgot to, I forgot to grab my wallet when I changed clothes. And I say, it's okay, I, I really wanted to buy it anyway, which is mostly true. But then as I go to, to reach for my debit card, I see a sign at the cash register with those two horrible words, cash only. Gulp. <laughs> Uh-oh, we got ourselves a situation here. We need someone other than us, an additional person, to enter the, enter the scenario. Or you and I are going to have a lot of dishes to wash, right? We need someone that can bail us out and pay the check for us because I can't buy it for you and you can't buy it for me because we're both in debt. And the Bible says that's the way it is with sin. For all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. There wasn't one person on this planet who was righteous enough to die for anyone else's sins. Someone not from here needed to come here. And that person, the only one who's applicable, is the perfect Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Our sin debt is washed away by the blood of the Lamb. Hebrews 9.22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus is who makes the difference. We can run to God just as we are because of Jesus. Now, now isn't the time to distance yourself from God because you don't feel worthy. Now is the time to run to him because you recognize him and you know you need him. Do you know that? Have you accepted the gift of forgiveness? Is Jesus your Lord and Savior or is he still just some stranger on the shore? Because if he's just some stranger on the shore who has power over nature and can work amazing miracles, then he is to be feared. But if he is for you, if you're born again into him, and understand he wants you to be, then as Romans 8.31 says, nothing can be against you when he is for you. In Luke 7, a sinful woman anointed Jesus' feet with very expensive perfume and began kissing his feet and wiping his feet with, with the, her hair. The Pharisees began to criticize Jesus for allowing such a sinful woman to uh, put on such a display. And he said to them in Luke 7:47, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Jesus causes extreme joy. 
This Easter, I'm going to encourage you to get radical in your expression of faith to Jesus. I'm going to encourage you to get excited, to jump into the water, so to speak, and to run back to Jesus, to go to the shore and to know who that person is on the shore. He is Jesus. You can always trust Jesus. Finally, he has time for you. Oh, what a beautiful story. Listen to verses 9 through 14. It says, when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And then Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. (laughs) Yes, they counted them. They would. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. You might say it was the church's first pitch-in dinner. (laughs) Jesus brought some charcoal and some fish and some bread. He says, you bring some fish and we'll have a fish fry for breakfast. Breakfast on the beach. I love the fact that Jesus ate with his disciples after the resurrection. I love the fact that he wants to fellowship with us. He wants to spend time with us. Even though our our sins be many, he has washed them white as snow, and he wants that perfect fellowship with us. It was around a charcoal fire pit that Peter would be given the opportunity to be reinstated, his willingness to follow Jesus and to feed his sheep, Three times he was asked that question, and three times he says, you know I love you, Lord. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. You can always trust Jesus, and he can always use you when you recognize him, when you know who that is on the shore, when you know who Jesus is. Pray with me, please. Father God, thank you for your amazing love. God, as we approach this Easter season during these uncertain and unique times, God, we know that we can trust you. And we thank you for that. We thank you, God, for being the God who gives us second chances and who calls us to do uh, amazing things for your kingdom. God, we love you, and we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus, your Son. Amen.